Well, it is um, a true honor to be back here today and to be with uh, so many old friends as well as to see many new friends. Um, uh, it's good to be here with my wife, Cheryl. The last time I stood speaking from this spot, um, I was an emotional wreck. I was wiping tears back the whole day. Um, and uh, I have often said, if love were a call, Cheryl and I would have never left Pensacola. Uh, we spent seven wonderful years here as the pastor of this church. And I know many of you, I've never been the pastor to. Um, but from 1997 to 2004. And uh, God blessed in many ways. It was a special moment and time and season in our life. And if love were the call, we'd have never left. Uh, it was the hardest decision I have ever made in my life. There's not a close second. But the call of God was clear in those days. And we left a church we loved and a people we loved and a community we loved. But we have never stopped loving you. And I have never ceased to be grateful for this church. I have prayed for you, and I rejoice in every victory that you have had. And uh, we are thankful for you. And we are thankful for Jim and Judy Locke, whom God called to be the shepherd of this church and who has shepherded now almost 18 years. And to come back here uh, and uh, is for him to allow me to come back here today, I'm deeply humbled by that. I'm thankful for that. And I honor him, and I'm just so grateful God sent him to this church. And I pray he stays another 18 years until Jesus comes. Amen. <laughs> but I want you to take your Bible today and the few minutes I have to turn to the book of 1 Samuel. I want to read a single verse to you this morning as a man who once ministered in these halls and loved this church and saw God work in this church. As a man who loves the church, I have been pleased to pastor now for 18 years in Clearwater. And I want to preach a message as maybe I'm getting a little older and I think about the span of time. I think about the journey maybe a little more. Um, but a single verse that um, maybe will give us a chance to see some important things that I pray today will encourage you. 1 Samuel 16, I just want to read one verse. This is the verse. The Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected for myself a king from his sons. Father, I pray today as we look at your word that you would help us to see your faithfulness yesterday, today, and forever. And that you would show us how we are to be faithful today and forever is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 
It was R.T. Kendall, a famous pastor uh, who followed Martin Lloyd-Jones in London, who preached a message years ago. I got a message back when we listened to messages on tape. You kids will have to ask your grandparents about that. And uh, I, I mean, it hit me. And he preached from this single verse. And he showed me something there that I don't think I had ever seen, which is in this single verse in the book of 1 Samuel, you have the three great personalities of this book. 1 Samuel is a book about transitions from one leader to another to another. It's a book about transitions from eras, from one era to another and to another, from Samuel to Saul to David, like three rivers converging. These three personalities overlap in the book of 1 Samuel. And they all come together in one verse. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. There are all three there. Did you see it? There is Saul. The Lord said to Samuel. Samuel, of course, is the great priest, the last of the priest prophets and uh, judges. The Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? Saul is the current king of Israel that Samuel had anointed years before. He's the king today. The Lord came to Samuel, the last of the judges. How long are you going to mourn over Saul since I have rejected him? Fill your horn with oil. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem Because he has a son, he's not named here, but you know who that is, that's David. He said, you're going to go to Jesse's house and you're going to anoint one of Jesse's sons that I have chosen to be the king. You have yesterday, today, and tomorrow converging in one verse. As R.D. Kendall put it, you have yesterday's man That's Saul. Saul is the king of Israel, but he's yesterday's news. God had already decided to pull his anointing off of Saul. Saul still has the crown, but he no longer has the anointing. He still has all the accolades of royalty. People still walk up or stand up when he walks in the room. But God in heaven has pulled his hand of blessing off of Saul. Saul is yesterday's man. Samuel is today's man, and it has nothing to do with age because Samuel is actually older than Saul. But Samuel still hears from God. Samuel is still serving God. Samuel may be growing old, but he is still today's man. He has work to do for God today. You have yesterday's man, that's Saul. You have today's man, that's Samuel. And you have tomorrow's man, that's David. Nobody knows who David is yet. But in a short amount of time, Samuel will lay hands on him and anoint him. And in the providence of God, David will become the king of Israel. He has the anointing, but he doesn't have the crown. Saul has the crown, but he's lost the anointing. You have yesterday's man, you have today's man, and you have tomorrow's man. You and I, we live in this thing called time. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God lives above time in eternity. 
Today, I just wanna share with you something about how to be today's man so that we can impact tomorrow by looking at Saul, Samuel, and David. I just am fascinated by that. And, and really what I wanna do is just maybe have time for just two things very quickly. I wanna talk first for a moment or two about the tragedy of yesterday's man. If I can before I get to the task of today's man. I wanna talk about the tragedy of yesterday's man by just looking for a moment at Saul. Saul, as we said, is the king. He's got all the accolades. He's got all the power. He's got the corner office. He's got the staff. He's got the robe and the crown, but he's lost the anointing. And the anointing, what is the anointing? The anointing, sometimes that gets thrown around in church circles in a very loose way, but it was an actual thing here because Samuel, the prophet, would actually go and anoint. He would physically anoint David. It was a physical act that pictured a spiritual reality. The anointing of God is the choice of God. It is that God was choosing to bless one and not another. God had chosen for David to lead. He no longer chose Saul, David was his choice. And while almost no one could see that, God would now work from the moment that Samuel laid hands on David for David to become the king. It would take 14 or 15 years, but it was inevitable because God had chosen David. The anointing is the choice of God. The anointing is the favor of God. From the moment that Samuel anointed David, the favor of God was on him. He would win battle after battle. He would win victory after victory. He would slay giants and slay enemy armies. Why? Because the sovereign God of eternity had placed favor on David. And it is the power of God. God's power resting upon him, providing for him at every turn. Saul, who is the king at that moment, had lost the anointing of God. God's choice had passed to another. God's favor had passed to another. God's power had passed to another. Now, I believe when we are saved, we are secure in Christ. I am not speaking about salvation when I make this statement. It is possible for a church, for a man, for a ministry, for a pastor to lose the anointing of God. It is possible for those who are today serving in places of leadership and today have influence and affluence to lose the power of God and begin to drift from the things of God. And let me tell you, when Saul lost the anointing of God, almost nobody knew it. Most of the people around Saul didn't know it. Most of the people didn't know what was going to happen, but God knew it. The anointing had passed from one to another. And I just want to quickly call your attention to the tragedy of being yesterday's man. What happens? What does it look like when the anointing is lost? There really is three stages, and I'll just touch on these very quickly. First, you begin to drift. First, you begin to drift. It doesn't happen overnight. I can remember living here. I now live in Clearwater. I love to stay close to the Gulf of Mexico. And every year you hear it, we hear it, somebody gets in the water 
and they get pulled away by the riptides, they get pulled away by the currents, and they end up being pulled away to somewhere they never intended, and sometimes it ends in tragedy, doesn't it? Let me tell you something in life. You never drift anywhere worth going. Saul began to drift I could tell you so many stories. Just look at his relationship with David. There are two stories that show David's rise to prominence long before he became the king. The first is in chapter 16, verses 14 through 23, where David is chosen to minister in Saul's court through music. Saul's drift can be seen where it says an evil spirit comes upon him. But they bring David in to play music, and it soothes the soul of Saul. And, and, and so God begins to work through David and Saul begins to feel uh, he has a kind of an evil spirit. And then, of course, there's a second famous story. And the second famous story is when uh, Goliath is taunting the enemies of God and the army is paralyzed and going nowhere. And David, of course, steps up. You know the story. And he defeats the giant. What you're seeing is that God's hand is on David's at every turn. How did Saul respond? If you read the book of 1 Samuel, you will find that as God begins to bless David, Saul's response is jealousy and fear. As David becomes more and more popular, Saul resents it. He is insecure and believes David is going to usurp his role and authority. Saul loses the anointing of God, and you see it when he becomes more interested in preserving his kingdom than he does extending God's kingdom. He becomes more interested in protecting his turf today than being faithful for what God is doing to prepare the road for tomorrow. You can see the difference between Samuel and Saul in this. They both get old. If you're living, you're gonna get old. You can't change that. You're not going to be David for long. But you choose whether you're going to be Saul or Samuel. And the difference between Saul and Samuel is that Saul tries to preserve his kingdom, whereas Samuel tries to prepare the kingdom for the future. The irony is Saul had nothing to fear from David. David was completely loyal, fiercely so. The greatest joy of one generation ought to be to anoint a rising generation to go faster and further than you ever did. When a church becomes more interested in preserving what it has today than anointing the next generation to impact to tomorrow, it will lose the anointing of God. God did not call us here to simply keep what we have today. He called us here to prepare a rising generation to do what God is calling them to do tomorrow. The drift led to a decline that goes further and further away from God. Again, you never drift anywhere worth going. And if we had time, we could walk through the book of 1 Samuel to see the stories about how Saul begins to decline. The man that God had once chosen, the man that God had once anointed, the one that once had the Spirit of God, he begins to decline further and further away from God. There's a tragic story in 1 Samuel where David is fleeing from Saul. 
He goes to a village of Nob. He comes in contact with a priest named Ahimelech. He doesn't tell Ahimelech what he's doing or even that he's fleeing from Saul. But Ahimelech innocently allows David some bread to eat and even gives him the sword of Goliath. Well, Saul is becoming more and more paranoid. He begins to believe his advisors are conspiring to help David. Finally, one of them, an Edomite, confesses that he witnessed the priest Ahimelech help David and his men. And in 1 Samuel 22, Saul travels to confront Ahimelech, who confesses his loyalty to the king. He assures him he's done nothing wrong. And yet Saul is unconvinced. And then Saul does something truly horrible. The Bible says he orders a massacre of 85 priests, including their families, including women, infants, and babies. It shows you how far you can drift from God. There's another story. Late in the book, 1 Samuel 28, when Saul is at the end of his life and he is facing a desperate battle against the Philistines, the Bible says he consults with a witch, a medium, to consult the ghost of Samuel, who by this time has died. Now, I'm just preaching it, all right? Pastor Jim will explain it all next week. I'm just telling you what's in the book. He shows up and he asks a witch to bring back the ghost of Samuel. And she does whatever she does. And the spirit of Samuel appears. I think personally, the witch is the most surprised person in the room. That's my thought. But God in that moment in his sovereignty allowed the spirit of Samuel to appear and speak a message of judgment to Saul. Here's my point in telling you these two stories. Saul started out with what might appear to be a minor drift. He began to reject the authority of God's word and he ends up slaughtering priests and consulting with witches. Be careful when you begin to drift. It'll take you where you don't want to go. I know churches that have had the anointing of God upon them. And they begin to drift from the authority of God's word. And before long, they're teaching, preaching, and doing things you would have never dreamed possible. They can be dead. Friend, Hillcrest, stay latched to the word of God. When we built this building, we let people come write verses on the floor, Pastor Jim. I want it right here. I don't know if it's still down there on the concrete. But if you could find it and it's still there, I'll tell you what verse is right there on this floor. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. I want to tell you, pastors will change. People will come and go. Eras will change. Music will change. But the word of God will never change. Don't drift from the word of God. Saul drifted, he declined, and then there was disaster. Of course, his life ended as a tragedy. There's the tragedy of yesterday's man. And I'm pleading with you, don't become yesterday's man. Don't become yesterday's church. The church, it still has all the stuff and the fluff and the building and the money and the reputation. But it's lost the anointing of God. You don't want to be there. Let me tell you the task of today's man. The task for our church, my church, your church, 
us to be the church God wants us to be today. And that's Samuel. So I want you just for a few minutes to think about Samuel. Samuel is called to anoint the leader of tomorrow, even though Saul is still in place today. Which the lesson of Samuel's life is how do we prepare for the future today? How can we shape the future right now? As I said earlier, we will all age. But you don't have to become a Saul. You can be a Samuel. See, Samuel still listened to God. Saul had to call up a witch to hear a word from God. But Samuel, though he grew old, could still hear the voice of God. And Samuel had the courage to obey God no matter what. He knew where God was working. So let me give you just three things very quickly that I think you can learn from the life of Samuel so that we can continue to be faithful in the task of today's man. Number one, keep listening to God. Keep listening. Again, the difference between Samuel and Saul is that Samuel keeps listening. He hears God's voice. In fact, when's the first time you're introduced to Samuel? Do you remember? He's a little boy living in Eli's house. You remember this? He hears a dream at night, and, the, and in the, he hears a voice. It wasn't a dream. He just hears a voice. Samuel, Samuel, he goes to Eli. And after three times, Eli discerns that he must be hearing from God, which, by the way, is very interesting because Eli was no longer listening to God. The message to Samuel was for Eli. But Eli had grown spiritually deaf. He, but he could still recognize when God was working. He said, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And when you see Samuel as an old man, he still hears the voice of God. Go and anoint that young man to be tomorrow's leader. Listen, the key to being today's man and the key to being today's church is that you keep listening when God is speaking. You don't stop listening to God. You keep listening. I've told this story. I know I've told it here because I've been telling it since I was a young preacher. I pastored in Dora, Alabama, my first church. I was 20 years old. My pastor said, you got to win their hearts. So go visit the shut-ins. It was a little church. So that's all I knew to do, about 50 people. Went and visited a lady named Miss Frederick. She is 93 years old. I went and sat in her house. She's a Big woman, Pastor Jim. She was tall, imposing. She had one of those electrical chairs. You hit a button, it raised you up. I thought she was going to fall on me and kill us both. I mean, I, she was <laughs> big woman. She was sitting there, dip snuff, running down her chin, sitting right, and she's going on and on and on, you know. And sometimes that's shut-ins are lonely. They talk. You just kind of try to hang in there with the conversation. And while she was talking, I heard this noise coming in the distance. It was a train rolling down the track. It got louder, louder, louder until it literally, the house seemed to shake. I, I mean, I couldn't hear her saying a word. And then it left, and I said, Mrs. Frederick, when she took a breath, I had to wait, she took a breath. I said, Mrs. Frederick, what in the world was that noise? She said, oh, that was the train. I said, well, is it, is it in your living room? Where is it? I mean, she said, Pastor, it's 20 feet from my back door. I got up and walked there, looked at, I mean, maybe 20 feet from the back door was a train track. I said, Mrs. Frederick, why did you build your house next to the train track? She said, oh, preacher, I was here first. <laughs> they built that thing through. We were poor. We couldn't move. I said, does it come through every day? She said, three times a day, twice at night, 
I said, how in the world do you sleep? She said, well, it's funny you should ask. She said, when that train first rolled through, we were all excited. We had never seen one before. She's 93, remember. It came through at night. We all woke up, didn't get back to sleep, scared us half to death. She said, the next night, went to bed. We woke up again. I thought, I'll never sleep in this house ever again. And then she said something to me that I knew I'd never forget in all my life. She looked at me and she said, but you know, something happened, Pastor. Within a few days, we'd go to bed and stay asleep. And then this is what she said. I reckon if you quit listening to something long enough, you won't hear it anymore. And I won't tell you what happens to some of our church folks, some of our churches, Pastor Jim, some of our pastors. You quit listening to God long enough, you shut down the Holy Spirit when he begins to convict your heart, before long you won't hear him anymore. See, can I tell you what makes today's church, today's man, today's woman? You keep listening to God. Samuel heard when God spoke. Number two, very quickly, you keep taking risks. Keep risking. Hey, it was not easy for Samuel to go and anoint David. In fact, you see it. He says in verse 2, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. See, when God says to Samuel, go and anoint a king to be king over Israel, uh, uh, Samuel is like, we've already got one. And they don't take too kindly to anointing new ones. God said, do it anyway. Gave him directions. It's going to take a risk to reach the next generation. It's going to take a risk to impact tomorrow. Churches that get comfortable and quit risking and quit stretching and quit reaching quickly become yesterday's churches. You want to know what separates the one that have the anointing power of God on them? They keep reaching out for tomorrow. They don't live in the past. They keep stretching for what God's doing now. And what he wants to do tomorrow. Keep risking. Here's the third thing I'll say. Keep blessing. Keep blessing. Again, what is the contrast between Samuel and Saul? It is that one embraced the next generation and another feared it. It is the fact that Samuel puts his hands on a rising generation and allows them to take their place and follow the anointing of God. You want to be today's church? The power of God on you? Keep listening to God. Keep risking, keep stretching, and keep blessing the next generation. I don't, listen, I, don't, I, I didn't come back to make anybody mad, but I want to tell you something. All ministries are not created equal. There is nothing your church is doing that is more important than reaching the next generation for Christ. All ministry, I'm, listen, I'm for all ministries. I'm for every kind of ministry there is that blesses people and impacts people. But I want to tell you, if you want the power of God on you today, prioritize reaching children, reaching students, and reaching college students because you are one generation from being out of business, and so am I. The church that reaches the next generation who puts the blessing of God on the children your next pastor may be running around in the children's ministry this morning. They're not out there just running in herds. 
You want another pastor 20 years from now? 20 years, Pastor Jim. You better train up and disciple him today. You want the next missionary? You better train him and disciple him today. He's over there in the student ministry. The church that has the power of God on it doesn't live in the past. It's stretching for the future. I'm thankful for the past. God did so many things in this place. And I gather with you to rejoice in them, but also to remind you that God has something for you to do today. Keep listening, keep blessing, and stay true to the mission of Jesus. And I close with this, the triumph of tomorrow's man. David would rise from obscurity to rule his people. A son of David would come and rise to become our eternal king. And it is his kingdom that will endure. And he will reign as king forever. The triumph of tomorrow's man is that God is still working and he is still building his kingdom. And there is still work to be done in this city and in this community and through your church. God has work for you to do. Pastor, I'm 80 years old. God has work for you to do. Stay faithful forever faithful to the call and the kingdom of God. It was emotional thinking about coming back here. It's emotional for me to take a trip down memory lane and think about the times we had and the memories that we share. And I treasure those with all my heart. I think about the people who loved us and invested in us. No pastor could have ever been loved more. And we will be forever grateful all of our lives. I think about those who have gone home. I think about Millie Lastinger's funeral that I got to oversee right here in this room. The founding pastor's wife. Some of you remember. She was a pistol. She loved Jesus. She loved us. Did her funeral right here. So many others. There's a song. It's not even a hymn. It's just a gospel song. And I don't think I understood it as a boy, a young man even. It's just a, I always liked it. It's kind of a gospel country song. But they used to sing, when the circle, will the circle be unbroken? And I always liked it. It has a nice little tune and beat. But I thought about that song lately as I'm getting a little bit older. I think it has an important meaning. Circles aren't meant to be broken. When circles get broken, they're not circles anymore. They're something else. As long as we're on this side of eternity, circles get broken. We have to say goodbye to cherished friends from time to time. We're separated by time and distance in the plans and providence of God and the circles get broken don't they and then there are people who we loved and cherished that have gone on to be with Jesus and the circles are broken but the day is coming when the circle will be unbroken it will happen God's kingdom will triumph over all and it is that Joy. It is that hope which motivates us today. Be faithful to the call of God because one day his kingdom will reign over all. 
in his book on heaven, Randy Alcorn, begins with a story about a woman named Florence Chadwick. She was trying to be the first woman to swim 22 miles from Catalina Island to the mainland of California. No, one had, no, no woman had ever done it. She had already swum across the English Channel, 1952. She get into the water. It's cold. It's very dangerous water, very deep, very choppy, sharks, all kinds of things. They had a boat by her. It was a big deal. Press was watching. They, she's swimming from Catalina to the California coast. The water was cold. The currents were swift. She wanted to quit. She wanted to quit. She went for 16 hours. She kept going. She kept going. Finally, her body exhausted, drained of strength. She had to quit. And they pulled her out of the water into the boat nearby. Her mother was in that boat. They understood she just couldn't go on. And when she got in the boat, it was one of those foggy California days. She got in the boat, and the fog dissipated just enough she could see the shoreline half a mile away. The next day in the press conference, she said this. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have kept going. And I just came today to remind you the shoreline isn't that far away. It's not that far. When we will stand before our king and we will know everything did for Jesus mattered and it's worth it forever. So precious friends, keep going. Don't quit. You keep going. You be the church that God has his hand on today. Because eternity is out before us and it is not that far away. So be faithful yesterday, today, and forever.